Matthew chapter 6. All right. Last week we started this idea of choosing your master in Matthew chapter 6 and the understanding that Jesus gives us in this in this passage especially in verse 24 let's let's read Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 it says no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon the understanding here is very very clear it's not rocket science it's it's pretty basic you you have a choice and and uh, um, in fact that's the title of the of the message that we're that we're working on here is the choosing your master because you will serve one or the other it's it's really that simple and <clears throat> we have talked about it in the past but um, the size of your bank account does not determine your um, fleshly desire for money. You know, many people think that rich people are, are the only ones that get uh, afflicted with the the dollar bug. But uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, poor people uh, can actually be just as inflicted with it. In fact, it says that um, uh, a, I, I don't. I just the verse just popped into my head, so I don't even know where it's at. It talks about the the rich man. Uh, uh, um, it's easier for a rich man to go through uh, the eye of a needle than it is for them to enter into heaven. And <clears throat> I, I did some research on that one time, and and we think of <clears throat> a rich person going through the eye of a literal needle. Is is that possible? Hello? No, it, it's impossible. So is, is God then saying that it is impossible for somebody who is rich to go to heaven? Okay, then what is the eye of the needle? It is a narrow passage. Okay. Um, there, there. I, I again. I this this thought just raced through my head. So I'm really not prepared for it. So I probably shouldn't even talk about it. But there was a place known as the eye of the of the needle, and a camel with a the rider would have to get off and walk his camel through. It was so small, but you could get through. And this is the eye of the needle. This is what this is what it's talking about here. So it's not talking about a literal needle, <clears throat> but it's talking about uh, the, a passageway that is very very narrow. So what it, what is what is then what is that passage telling us that it is easier for uh, 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 someone to go through the eye of a needle than to go to heaven? It's not it's not impossible. But because of all the money that they possess, it is a great hindrance to them. That's, that's the picture that, that I believe God is trying to give us. <clears throat> but we talked about last week, actually the last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, choosing our master. 
Uh, and we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they, choo- they chose uh, their, their master, and so did uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They chose their master. And <clears throat> just as we will have to choose who we are going to serve, they chose as well. Uh, uh, point number one, we, we talked about this just for a little bit of review here. Uh, verse 25 uh, says, um, uh, well, let's, let's just read the whole passage. Um, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, uh, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air... For they sow not, neither uh, do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye, are ye not more better than they? Which of you, taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, for they grow they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, even that even Solomon <clears throat> in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you O ye of little faith, Um, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or uh, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Greeks do, uh, excuse me, the Gentiles seek. For their heavenly Father knoweth, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the, of the things of itself, Suffer, uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be here tonight, to look into your word, and Lord, to help us grow and to be more like you. We are truly thankful and we are truly blessed. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. First, we saw in verse 25, the result of our choice. We will. Uh, there were two things that I pointed out. Uh, <clears throat> first off, we will, uh, we will either fret or we will have freedom. Fret will either fret or have freedom, one or the other. The second point that we had um, uh, is, is the temptation. The temptation in verse 27. <clears throat> Which of you taking uh, thought can add one cubit to our stature? We are always wanting to be different. You know, uh, some of us uh, want to be uh, slimmer. You know, uh, you know, we're you know we're constantly wanting to improve ourselves. We're we're never happy. We're coloring our hair. We're wanting our hair to grow, and 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 all of these things, and we're just never happy. 
And God says, and in fact, I pointed out, I believe it was last week or week before, I can't remember, uh, that this, this idea of a cubit actually has a, a, a time reference in there. So we cannot add one minute to our lives. We cannot change ourselves one bit. God made us the way we are. Then in verse 3 is the question, or, or excuse me, point number 3. In verse 28, we see the question. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Now, Jesus, in, in, this, in this verse, verse 28, Jesus asks a question. He wants us to ponder something. And, and when, you, when you look at this really simple verse, um, he wants us to consider something. Um, those of us that are parents, oftentimes we will, we will give our children instruction and we'll do it in such a way we, where we want them to think about the process. We want them to think about something. Because it's not always the best solution. It's not always to just give answers. Sometimes the best thing to do is cause them to think it through. And as I, as I, as I thought about this, I thought of about an illustration that God gave to Jeremiah. God came, came to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18. Let's start reading in, in verse 1. It, said, <clears throat> it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. So, so let's stop right here. What is God saying to Jeremiah? Jeremiah uh, it was a prophet, and, and, and God comes to Jeremiah, and he says, okay, hey, I want you to go do something, and when you get there, I will tell you what I want you to know. Okay, God is getting ready to teach Jeremiah. <clears throat> then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on a wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made, again, made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Now let's stop right there. So God comes to Jeremiah and he says, hey, I want you to go down to the potter's house. So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he's standing there waiting for God to speak to him, but he, what is he doing? He's watching the potter, okay? Now, put yourself in Jeremiah's position, if you would. Here you are, God says, hey, I'm going to teach you something, but I need you to go to the potter's house. So he goes to the potter's house, and he's standing there, probably not really paying attention, but he's watching the potter work the clay, and then, well, you used to do this, right? The, the spinning, spinning the clay thing. <clears throat> you know, you work it down, and you work it up, and you, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he's watching him, and he's like, okay, what's the point? Can you kind of picture yourself being there? 
almost as I as I thought about it, I thought, you know, it's almost like an attitude of, okay, God, what do you want? What is what what is this about? Huh? You know, in that day, watching a potter spinning a piece of pottery was probably something they had seen many times. Now, in our society <clears throat> today, it's it's unusual. We don't see it. But in that society, it was very common. So I'm sure Jeremiah is just standing there watching this guy work this piece of clay and, and going back and forth. But I love the next verse. Then the word of the Lord came to me. And all of a sudden, Jeremiah was listening to God as he's watching the potter. The word of the Lord came to me. And, he, and the voice said, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the hand of the potter, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. Can you, can you, can you imagine what's going through Jeremiah's mind? Wow, what an incredible picture of a yielded life to God. Now he's talking about the nation of Israel, but we can very easily make application here to the fact that God does that in our lives, does he not? He molds us and he shapes us and and he's constantly working us to get us where he wants us to be. That is a lesson that God showed Jeremiah And Jeremiah saw it and he learned because he considered what God was teaching him. Let's go back to the verse here in verse 28. In verse 28, Jesus says this, And why take ye thought for raiment? What is the question? What is the question? Exactly. You know, 21st century vernacular. What are you fretting over? What What are you worried about what you're going to wear? Now, on the surface, that sounds like a kind of a strange question in our society today. Because how many of you got up this morning wondering what you're going to wear? Most of us, had to decide what we would wear. Does that make sense? Yeah, we have multiple options. When I I was in Haiti one time, and uh, only once, I've only been to Haiti once, and on Sunday morning, yeah, once was enough. <clears throat> on Sunday morning, it was it, it was an amazing thing. Everybody who came to church had a white shirt on. And and we we think nothing of that. And and but as I sat in the church cuz I couldn't understand a word that was going on cuz it was all in French. I, I kind of sat in the back corner and I just kind of watched and I and I just noticed that everybody had a white shirt on. And it was just puzzling to me. And then later that <clears throat> that morning after church, we went to the missionary's house who lived 
in a in a house like every town there has like a a, a, a town square. You, you know what I'm talking about? You know, it's like the center of town. Well, the missionary lived in a house. In fact, that's what we were there for. We were working on her house. She was a doctor, um, and we were working on her house. But <clears throat> so she was renting a house right there on the main square, and and right kind of di- diagonal from the front porch of her house was the Catholic Church, and the afternoon mass was taking place. And um, myself and and another uh, missionary that was there. Uh, we were sitting out on the front patio area, if you would call it that, and and everybody that was going into church either had a white shirt or or a white dress. And as I as I sat there and I looked, I was absolutely overwhelmed with this thought. Everything around here is filth. They, these people live in filth, and I don't know how else to say it. And I looked at the missionary, and I said, I, I, I hope I'm not being rude here. I said, but how do they get their clothes so white? Because they have no electricity for the most part, but they, everything is so white. And he said, oh, he said, that's actually pretty easy. They... They, they take lemon juice and they soak their shirts in lemon juice. And then they lay them out in the sun and that's how they bleach it. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but for, every, whatever, for whatever reason, whenever I read this, this verse or this, ver, this sentence in this verse, the picture of all these white shirts comes to my mind. Because these people had to worry about what they were going to wear to church. They didn't, you know, I'll be honest with you. My wife, bless her heart, I have multiple white shirts. Don't look too close to this one. This has, this has morning stuff on it. My grandson's gooey fingers. But I have multiple white shirts. And, and people ask me, why do you always wear a white shirt? Because I don't have to color coordinate with a white shirt. Okay, I just It's easy. I just like white. Okay, <clears throat> But I have multiple shirts that I can choose from because my wife keeps them ironed. But when's the last time you, you, had, you got up in the morning and you, you really had to think about, what am I going to wear today? And to be perfectly honest, most of us have never thought that, have we? Very rare. Exactly. See, see, ours is more about choice than it is necessity. But then Jesus then does something really interesting. He uses the next word, consider. Consider. And he gives us three things to consider. Well, let's just read it. And why take ye thought for the raiment? 
consider the lilies. What are the, what are lilies? Flowers. Okay, consider the lilies of the fields. The first thing he wants us to consider is how do they grow? Then he says, they toil not, neither do they spin. And and I'll be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times I've read this verse and I've not really ever paid attention to the three things he asks us to consider. How do flowers grow? The second one is, <clears throat> they toil not, or <clears throat> to put it where we would understand it, they don't get tired. And the third thing is neither do they spin. In other words, they don't work. They don't worry either. <laughs> and I think that's the point. Ultimately, that's the point. But I want to talk about these three things for just a minute because as I dug into it and I started thinking about it and praying about it and reading some different commentaries and different things, Jesus is really kind of drilling down on these on these his audience here, and he says, "Consider the lily. Consider the lily. How does it grow?" And I, out of curiosity, I thought I knew. But out of curiosity, I googled what makes a plant grow. Just to make sure, there are four things that make a plant grow. What are they? Sunlight, water, soil or nutrition, okay, nutrients, and air. Those are the four things that a plant needs. <clears throat> Man. <clears throat> So, question, who provides the water? God does. Who provides sunshine? God does. Who, who provides their every need? God does. Question. What is needed to sustain human life? Guess how many things there are? Four. What are they? Water, nutrients, sunlight. Oh, okay. Sunlight is not one of them. Okay, sunlight is sunlight is not one of them. Air, air is one, and shelter. Okay. Now, if you want to be healthy, you need sunshine, but technically you can live without sunshine and be okay. Okay? <clears throat> now, huh? Yeah, well, this is true, yeah. Um, who provides the water? God does. Who provides the nutrients? God does. Who provides our every need? God does. does. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. But my God shall supply all your wants according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? No. It doesn't say wants. It says needs. 
my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And when you when and when I when I sat down and I and I realized that it, it there's not a lot of difference from what a plant needs from what we need. There really isn't. And I thought here Jesus is saying, "Why do you fret? Why do you worry? Why are you concerned about what you're going to wear? Consider the lilies how they grow." I take care of all their needs. I can take care of all your needs. The next thing he asked us to consider, they don't get tired. Well, they don't have to work nine to five, or they don't have to, you know, they don't have the pressure that that we have. And the more I, I dug into it, this is not talking about physical needs. This is not re- referring to being physically tired. It's referring to being emotionally tired, What kind of what you were saying. They don't, they don't worry. They toil not. They, they, don't, they don't fret. And as I, as I thought about it, could you, can you imagine a, a large field full of flowers and people walking by and they're looking at the flowers in the very front and they're probably maybe even plucking a few, taking them home, putting them in vases. And the flowers in the back of the field are yelling and screaming and saying, hey, what about me? What about me? Pick me, pick me. They don't care. They're just sitting there doing their, doing their flower thing. I don't know what that is. Bending in the wind and... You know, they just, they don't fret over stuff. They just do what they're supposed to do. Live a very simple life of being a flower. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. It's not complicated. All we have to do is what God wants us to do. We complicate life, do we not? We, We complicate life. We are the ones who throw all the added things into the mix. Well, but pastor, you don't understand my schedule. I have to be here and I have to be here and the kids got soccer and the kids got this and then da 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 da. And you know what? I lived that life for a lot of years and one day I said, "You know what? I'm done. It's not worth it." One one Christmas, <clears throat> my wife and I we got to I don't know, it was probably December 28th. And we were just flat out exhausted. Going to this party and going to that party and entertaining and doing this and going here and staying up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, putting together stupid Christmas presents for the kids. 
You, you know what I mean? We've, you know, those of us parents, we've been there. You know, the the the, the directions from hell. You know that. <laughs> I I don't know how else to say it. We bought this thing one year, and it was in Chinese. And I'm like, whoa! You got to be kidding me. For what? And we, we, Melanie and I, that Christmas, we looked at each other and we said, never again. Because they, we never one time, not one time did we take time to thank God for the birth of his son. We were so busy and we got so consumed with all the peripheral stuff, we forgot what it was all about. Remember that song? Remember that Christmas? We said, never again. See, we're the ones that complicate everything. <clears throat> the third thing that Jesus asks us to consider is neither do they spin. They never have to weave their garment or they never have to work. They just do their thing. They just do their beauty thing. I don't know what to do. What's a flower do? Bloom. That's it. You know, glorify God. There you go. Yeah, I I love to watch the, those uh, sunflowers. They, they they like track the sun. It is like that is like so cool. But what what do they do? Now you think about it. What does a what does a flower do? <clears throat> it 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 glorifies God. I believe first and foremost. What else does it do? Well, it's it's creator, yeah, same thing, okay. Right, it's a food source, right? But you never hear a flower complaining, "Get off me, you stupid bee," or a hummingbird, "Yeah, you know, get away from me." You know, you, you don't, you know, you don't see that. What does it do? It just does what it's supposed to do. It's really pretty simple. <clears throat> But look at verse 29, and this is this is really, I think, the key to the to the third thing that we're supposed to ponder. Verse 29. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That is saying a lot. Now I read a lot of commentaries on that one on these two verses. Just just to kind of I wanted to just wrap my head around what God was trying to tell me. And and there were people all over the map on this. But I don't think it's that complicated. Why are you fretting over what to wear? When you consider the lilies, I've given them everything they need. They don't, they don't spend their lives worrying about the unimportant things of life. They don't even have to work. I provide everything for them. Now, I don't want you to go out and quit your job tomorrow, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Okay? <laughs> there is a thing called the curse, and that means we have to work for it. You know, so, you know, that's not what he's saying. But when we consider Solomon... Who was Solomon? 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, argue, arguably, uh, Job would have been right up there with him, I think. But um, Solomon was probably the smartest guy who ever worked apart from Jesus Christ. I want to qualify that. Okay. So not only was he exceptionally smart, but he was incredibly wealthy. And, and history tells us that, and I could be wrong here, but if you could transfer his wealth in today's money, he would probably be the richest man in the world today. He was just stinking rich. And back then they were they were all about the 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 royal robes and the and the jewelry and the crowns and all that stuff. And what does Jesus say? That Solomon in all his glory could not compare to a little flower. Why are we worried? Why do we fret over things that we can't control? The lesson that Jesus is trying to communicate here. Psalm chapter 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. As I was contemplating this, I thought of what God said in creation. When God was done creating everything, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 12, he says this, And the earth brought forth grass, and the herbs yielded seed after his kind, and the trees yielded fruit whose seed was in itself after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And after God created all the, all the plants and the animals, and, and well, I don't, I don't, I'm not too sure about the animals yet. I think he done the animals. No, anyway, it doesn't matter. This is talking about all the plants and the grass and all that stuff. After he creates all of that, he says, it was good. It wasn't until God created man. Now get this. After God had created man, this is what he said in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It wasn't until after God created man that he said it was very good. How precious are we in his sight? How precious are we in this sight? Let's go back to verse 24. No man can serve two masters. He, he, he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. Uh, you, you, um, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. And when you stop to consider everything that God has done for you, the choice should be easy. The choice should be easy. 
But then in verse 30, he challenges us with something. Look at verse 30. So he asks a question in verse 28, gives us the answer in, in verse 28 and 29. But then he challenges us in verse 30. He says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into an oven, how shall he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. As I read this verse in the context and, and, I, and I really started to let it sink in, this is, this is what I got from what I believe God was trying to tell me. Rick, you, learn, you need to learn how to trust me. I got this. If I can take care of the lilies of the field, I can take care of you. You need to trust me. But what do we do? We tend to, we, if, if you're anything like me, and this is, this is, you can ask my wife, this is probably my greatest fault, is I'm a fixer. You're a fixer. A lot of us are fixers, right? What do we, what do we want to do? Fix everything. But what does God say? Trust me. Trust me. We tend to worry about things. Tend to worry about the bills and the and the this and the that's and the, all of the things. And Jesus is saying, you need to learn to trust me. Now I want you to think about this. What is a synonym in the Christian vocabulary for the word trust? Huh? Okay, you're on the right track. Faith. When we trust, what are we doing? We're showing faith. I have a question for you. Well, look at verse 24. And we've we've made reference to this many times, and, and I'm, I'm not going to read it, but... I want to ask you some questions about, I've I got three questions here I want to ask you about verse 24. The first question is this. Who are you going to serve? God or mammon? Those are the choices, right? God or mammon. Second question. Who are you going to trust? God or mammon? That changes the context a little bit, doesn't it? When we use the word trust. Let me ask you the third question. Who are you going to put your faith in? God or mammon? It's the same, it's the same question using different synonyms. But to me, as I read it with those those two different synonyms. It changed, in my mind at least, the, the context of what he, Jesus is trying to say. Serving, okay, I'll serve God rather than mammon, okay, but who am I going to put my faith in? 
Boy, that changes everything. Because I, I don't know about you, but the last place in the world I want to put my faith is in the, is in the American dollar. Just saying. Or in any dollar. We look at the live. I okay. Let, let's do this. As I was sitting and thinking about different people in the Bible that have shown exceptional faith, immediately I thought of three guys. They were friends. Anybody know? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I thought of those guys immediately. And, and I, I, I turned over to the book of Daniel, and, and uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse six, 16 through 18. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we don't care what you think. And I'll tell you what, to stand up to a, a Babylonian king in, th- in this time, I mean, that was like, dude, you know, that's, you're just nuts. But anyway, he says, we, we, we're not careful to answer thee in this manner. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But... If not, be it known unto, the, unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. And I, and I went, yes, I love, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Mingo. I love these guys. Why? Because they, they, they confront this head on. We are going to stand for God. We don't care what you think. We are going to do right. And so what happens? They get thrown in the fire. The, 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 the uh, soldiers that toss them into the fire, the fire is so hot, it kills the soldiers. And the king looks in, and, and most of us are familiar with the story, but the king looks in and he says, he says hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? Why are, why are there four in there walking around? What an incredible story. But I got another question for you. But don't answer it. Don't answer it quite yet. Because I'm going to give you three options. <clears throat> Where did their faith start? Did it start at the, at the point of telling the king they would not bow? Did it start at the, uh, at the point of being thrown into the fire? Or did it start at the point of being in the fire? Before all of it. Yes, none of the above. I should have put none of the above on there. Because <laughs> their faith started way before they stood before the king. In Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says this, and then, then said Daniel to Mel, Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs set over Daniel, 
Hananiah, Ishmael, and Azariah. Prove thy servants, and beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Their faith started when they refused to bow to peer pressure, when they were just teenagers. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, uh, and Azariah are their Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are their Babylonian names. Huh? Oh, okay, I thought you said something. <clears throat> their, their faith started when they were teenagers, and they, they said, we are not going to bow to peer pressure. We are going to do right. That's where their faith started. Daniel chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children that did eat the uh, portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat uh, and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. That just sounds disgusting. I don't know what pulse is, but it, it sounds like oatmeal to me. Uh, anyway, I don't know. but I like oatmeal, but not like every, every meal. Um, but, uh, and uh, as, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in, in all visions and dreams. See, that's where their faith started. But it matured in the fiery furnace. Actually, I think it matured standing before the king. When they said, you know what, king? Hey, we didn't bow to peer pressure back then. We're not going to bow to it now. We're going to do right. Teenagers. 13, 14-year-old young people that were willing to stand and do right. Oswald Chambers wrote this, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visible, excuse me, visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in the fiery furnace. Sometimes God will take our faith into a fiery furnace. But I'll tell you what, it starts when, we are, when we're teenagers, spiritually speaking, standing and doing right. See, that's where faith starts. And Jesus here in this parable, in this in, in this Sermon on the Mount, I lost the verse. Hold on, verse thirty. Wherefore, if the Lord has so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? 
Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to trust? But more importantly, who are you going to put your faith in? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And, and Lord, as we close our service tonight, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and you would challenge us and you would help us to draw close to you. We are truly thankful and we are truly blessed. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.